Today, the Senate takes a decades overdue step to revitalize America's infrastructure and give our workers, our businesses, our economy the tools to succeed in the 21st century. That was Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer talking, of course, about the $1 trillion infrastructure bill passed by a bipartisan group of senators last week. That's also what we are talking about today on Leadership Next. Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray, here with my incredible, amazing, fantastic co-host, Ellen McGirt. I live for your intros, Alan. Thank you so very much. And I also live for your insider Washington, D.C. knowledge. I know that you are not so secretly a political enthusiast. And all, by the way, one of my favorite super wonks, which is a compliment. So you must have been following every detail of the infrastructure bill that was passed by the Senate last week, right? I didn't follow every detail, but I certainly followed it because I'm one of those people who believes the government works better when you get people from the from the Republican and Democratic Party sitting down together and actually trying to solve problems what, rather than trying to play politics with each other. So was was happy to see it happen. And I think that's the attitude of most, most business people I talk to. They think bipartisanship is a good thing. And we're glad that these folks came together and passed an infrastructure bill. I agree. And our guest today makes that clear as well. He's Andrew Liveris. He spent over 40 years at Dow and about 15 of those years as CEO. He stepped down in 2018, and for those of you who are Leadership Next enthusiasts, we actually interviewed the man who took his job earlier this season. Please go back and check it out. That's right. But uh, most recently, Andrew's been heading up this group called Build Together that has been working with members of Congress to get the infrastructure bill uh, passed. He's got a pretty impressive group of CEOs working with him, and I think they played a pretty important role in helping to make that uh, happen. It's very interesting to see how business has become the center of our political our political spectrum today. It's a lot to talk about there, and we got some good insider insider information on how it all came down. I do want to just point out for our listeners that Andrew used the shorthand name for the bill a few times, BIF, which stands for Bipartisan Infrastructure Framework. BIF. Okay, let's dive in. Let's do it. So, Andrew, I know you've spent a lot of time on this Build Together project to get the infrastructure bill passed and have obviously had success, but explain why this is so important to business. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for having me. Um, In my entire time as CEO of Dow and inclusive of the many trips I made to Washington and to, for that matter, capitals around the world, what became pretty prevalent in my time, the first 20 years of this century, have just basically exacerbated the uncertainty point. I remember Robert Rudenman writing about that in the late 90s and uncertainty uh, on the geopolitical kind, I guess we all kind of got used to it, but uncertainty created by short-termism in financial markets and politics meant 
that business started to lose uh, appetite for investments because most of our investments are certainly in the manufacturing sector, in supply chains of key you know, products, whether it be pharmaceuticals or whether it be chemicals or whether it be you know, building materials, whatever, any, anything that's in the make economy uh, are 15, 20, 30 year investments. And so uh, your ROIC calculations and MPV calculations would fall flat if you saw policy changes affecting okay, key things that you needed to count on, like access to raw materials, access to transportation, access to you know, the ability to actually even uh, transport your goods internationally, uh, the different groups that would get involved, uh, NGOs, uh, unions, uh, the, the human side of it. So if the political side couldn't give you certainty, how does business seek a, an investment trajectory Frankly, it goes to the lowest risk jurisdictions. And so yeah. we need it to de-risk the U.S. economy. Yeah, that raises a really interesting point, Andrew and Ellen, if I can ask this. We're talking about a bipartisan infrastructure bill. What's the important word there for business? Is it infrastructure uh, or is it bipartisan? Because it's the bipartisanship that gives you some certainty that it will last. Which is why we focus, yes, and why we focused in on the Senate and why we focused in on what was becoming a disappearing act, a vanishing act of the center of American politics. I mean, in essence, the last 20 years of democracies around the world have seen that, you know, whether it's the left or the right of politics, the primary process in the U.S., didn't necessarily get the centrists elected. And so the moderate Republicans, you know, uh, the, the, the Reagan Democrats or the Clinton Republicans, those sorts of people weren't getting supported. And, and so we needed to get them back into the mix. And the word bipartisan started to become the focus. And the Senate, as you saw from the vote of the 19 Republicans that voted for this bill, we worked with 18 of them. Mm. to make them really understand why this was important to the future of America. And the word infrastructure clearly, clearly was, I guess, if you had to find a topic that everyone could agree on, that's pretty much, you know, if you can't get agreement on that one, you know, game over on everything else. But really interesting. I mean, you're really focusing on bipartisanship. Ellen, I just want to do one more follow-up. There was a really interesting column in the Wall Street Journal recently by Jerry Seib that said business has become a political orphan in the United States, which is kind of what I hear you saying, that you're really not creatures of the left or the right, and you need to recreate a movement in the middle to get what you think needs to happen. Yeah, I mean, I said uh, sometime in the last month here in Australia and also in the U.S., policy, not politics. Uh, and, and business thinks policy and policy certainty, that was an oxymoron. You were starting to see the uncertainty, the first question, and the lack of policy that actually could converge and give you outcomes you could predict. Uh, that meant the middle wasn't there. So business, yes, business by definition is centrist. You know, it's not shades of red or shades of blue, it's purple. Okay, and finding a way to get that back into the conversation was what we just uh, focused on the last six, nine months. So you, you mentioned the, the 18 senators or representatives that you spoke to um, behind the scenes, and I'm very curious about that. I'd love to get some details there. But for anyone who's not familiar with Build Together, it's a it's a pretty 
bold-faced named group of CEOs here, including many who are good friends to Fortune and Leadership Next, Mary Barra, General, General Motors, John Donahue, Nike, for example. Can you tell us about the behind the scenes there and how you all came together and, and um, made some decisions about how to move ahead together because it's a pretty big deal group. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And, and you know, Ellen, I mean, it's um, it, it's a very humbling thing. I mean, you know, you, you spend a lifetime trying to run an enterprise and these CEOs are busy people as everyone is, but CEOs in particular I can identify with. Um, but the intersection of business, government and society has arrived and finding people who ran enterprises that really truly believe, truly believe that the answers are at the intersections, you know, leaders in their own right, as you've just said, these are amazing companies, amazing CEOs, but really, you know, this is where some, some of this commentary Alan just made, you know, are we lost? Are we, are we businesses? Are we lost? Are we, are we in the wilderness? And, you know, how do CEOs now come out of the wilderness and actually state what needs to be done for their enterprise but now for something you have written a lot about in Leadership Next, which is purpose-based business and, and you know, finding leaders who are willing to actually stand up and say, it needs to be bipartisan, it needs to actually work for my sector, but it needs to work for all sectors. So we were, the behind the scenes was, you know, I got approached as somebody who had worked at that intersection a long time, written a book about it. Um, Dennis Meal approached me. He said, could you help me pull this group together? I made lots of calls and, you know, I, I got to tell you, I had to stop calling because the group would become too big. Um, and, 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 you know, there are a few that, you know, probably I could have added, but the sectors look good and the, the leaders themselves are just amazing people. And, uh, you know, uh, God bless the American uh, uh, entrepreneurial spirit, whether it's small companies, Silicon Valley, you know, the founders of amazing companies. But these institutions that have been around a long time, founder-based enterprises like GM or like Walmart or Dow, et cetera, you know, they tend to elevate people who get it. And, you know, working with them was a delight. We had one rule. We didn't need the publicity for ourselves. Let's work with these senators. Let's get the bipartisan word in play. Okay. Let's really bring home why this is so important for America and for the world, frankly. But to show the sign, the thing that we can all agree on is if we can scope this right, if we can get the right pieces in there, if we can show the clean water and airports and road and rail, the hard infrastructure, if we can get that done, you or your companies will benefit. You can play a leadership role in your sectors and your associations, BRT, NAM, et cetera. But let's get this group to put a, a point of the spear approach to the people that need to bring it over the line. Uh, our work's not done, of course. The house is still there in front of us. But this was a massive, massive success story by these CEOs. Now take us behind the scenes of the conversations you had with the actual senators and their staff and the White House. We're going to need some juice here, Andrew. We're going to need some stories. <laughs> 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 Go, Andrew. So one of the things that I learned, um, you know, with dealing with senators and Congress people is, you know, they, they have their own PR machines and they have their own narratives, right? And they have their own constituencies. At the end of the day, these are the people that put themselves out there to get elected, right? Right. We don't. We don't. We, 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 I used to say CEOs get elected pretty much every day, every minute. But, you know, mm. politicians are politicians for a reason. And so the behind the scenes with all of them, you know, firstly, the format of it, you know, they would obviously all be Zoom calls. We'd have all of our CEOs and we have strong attendance. 
time dependent on their availability and we'd appear on these Zoom calls. And, and frankly, it would open, they would open up with, um, you know, whether it was, you know, Senator Portman or Senator Cassidy, um, you know, all, all, the, all the ones that were showing leadership roles early on, you know, um, uh, we, we would open, let them open up and give us a state of play. Then we would say, let the rotate through all the CEOs and say, you know, on broadband, this is AT&T's view on, you know, digital and cyber and security. This is IBM's view on e-mobility. This is GM's view. So we would let them hear all that. And then I would then facilitate the back and forth on, well, what will it take, okay, to get this over the line and get the 70 votes? I mean, to, what would it take? Uh, and and they, would, they would be early in, this, in the pitches, in these conversations, they would be bemoaning the other side, right? Mm-hmm. The Democrats don't get it or da, da, da. And we also spoke to Democrats, by the way. It wasn't just uh, um, the Republicans. Um, you know, they don't get it. And you know, they, they pull out some names sometimes. And, you know, you've got, you've got to get to Senator X and Y because I get it and they, they don't. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I'm giving you juicy material, but I'm giving you predictable material. So, so <laughs> you know, so, so really Portman, Warner, Collins, Cassidy, Sanima, they were the difference makers okay? yeah. in, in our conversations. Uh, once we got them to understand that the business community cared about this, that gave them wind behind their sails to get the others. And then keeping the minority leader in neutral was another part of our work. And the way we did that was we put ads in every key senator's hometown including um, Senator McConnell's. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, to let his voters know that this mattered to the business community of America. I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, who is the CEO of Deloitte US and had the good sense to sponsor this podcast. Thanks for being with us and thanks for your support. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure to be here. So, Joe, business leadership used to be about setting strategy in the C-suite and then giving orders to everybody down the line, telling them what they need to do to implement the strategy. But today, things are moving too fast for that kind of a top-down approach. How do you be an effective leader in that kind of rapidly changing environment. You hit the nail on the head, Alan. We've actually given a lot of thought recently to adjusting our own leadership frameworks in terms of the attributes that are necessary to serve as an effective enterprise leader. In this environment, the long-standing hierarchical pyramid with orders coming down from the top simply cannot effectively deal with the pace of change. Being a great leader in this environment requires a lot of listening, empowering one's people, setting the tone for a culture of innovation and strategic risk-taking. Because at the end of the day, you can't be involved in every interaction with your customers, with your employees, with your regulators. You have to instill in your professionals a sense of values to drive the way in which they'll make those on-the-spot decisions on behalf of the organization. Thank you, Joe. Alan, it's a real pleasure. I'm glad it passed. I'm glad it's bipartisan, strongly so. But it is not the totality of the vision of Joe Biden and the congressional Democrats. All right. We can't talk about this infrastructure bill without discussing what House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is referencing here. 
She's talking about the $3.5 trillion budget blueprint that the Senate passed along straight party lines immediately after approving the bipartisan infrastructure deal. That's right. And this is where naturally things start to get politically wonky. Some inside baseball negotiating tactics here. The infrastructure bill has to pass the House, too, obviously. And House Democrats said, sure, we'll approve that. But we also want to pass a bill for what the president is calling soft infrastructure. Hard things like childcare and healthcare improvements to the social safety net. So give us both and we can talk. And that's exactly what the Senate did. One trillion dollars for hard infrastructure, supported, as you mentioned, Island, by both Republicans and Democrats, and 3.5 trillion in soft infrastructure that at this point only has support from Democrats. And just for clarity, we should probably tell our listeners that that uh, $3.5 trillion piece, which the Senate passed, is really just a budget uh, measure. It gives committees permission to start writing actual legislation that will put the detail on the framework, uh, uh, specific initiatives around energy, childcare, clean energy, and the rest. Uh, they still need to go through the congressional approval process to get all that done. So it, it's far from a done deal. Right. But if, even if parts of it happen, it will be a big deal, not just for regular people, but also for the business people who employ regular people, because it would also likely include tax increases. So, Andrew, there are some some people who are saying, okay, you got this bipartisan agreement about around this trillion dollars or so in spending, but what you're really doing here is just helping the Democrats clear the way for the $3.5 trillion in social spending that's going to be a, come along right behind it. And so I guess I have a couple of questions for you. I mean, how does your group as a group feel about that $3.5 trillion in social spending. And if you're not fully supportive of it, how do you respond to the charge that you're facilitating it? You're clearing the way for a, a package that's four times bigger than the one you supported. I've got a golf shirt on. The ball is on the first tee, and we just got par on the first hole. Uh, <laughs> we may be on the, uh, made it to the nine now. We're shooting even par, and uh, it's still 18 holes, right? So do we call the match over at nine holes? No, we don't. There's another nine holes. And so so can you can you really screw up these back nine? Yes, you can. Will the business community be supportive of this? No, it won't. Uh, the, it'll be it'll be very detrimental to the American economy if we put this amount of spend, okay, into the mix. The deficit is one thing, which of course one could argue even this first bill, you know, is adding to the deficit. But look, we can see ROI in this first bill. We can actually see job multiplication and economic expansion and a worthwhile investment. If you put the pay-fors that are likely to be very punitive and the spending excessive in light of inflation concerns, this package has to be moderated from here. And I think, you know, Madam Pelosi is going to have interesting time. She's going to, you know, uh, she's promised progressives that she will hold back the BIF. Well, guess what? They will rise and fall together, okay? And, and and if she makes the back nine, to use my analogy, a terrible outcome, the front nine won't count. And I think this is very important in moderation. Maybe we've shown that moderation could work. Moderate this next one, please, okay? Mm -hmm. This is a massive achievement. President Biden and, and, and this administration 
to put this on the scorecard is going to help them so much for next year, okay, with the midterms. Imagine being able to say that this is the biggest American infrastructure bill since FDR and actually get the business community to support it. Why squander that for the sake of the left and the progressives? Let's get the centrists to really run the show here and balance this out. Well, this this but this gets back to the political orphan point. I mean, are there enough centrists to actually make what you're talking about come true or are the progressives willing to kill the bipartisan infrastructure bill in order to make their point? I think the country uh, has seen a, a, an incredible amount of political experimentation uh, almost uh, 12 years of it with tilting left and tilting right. Um, in our lexicon, we've learned about things like tea parties. We've listened to Ted Cruz and filibusters. We, we, we've seen the worst of the American political animal rear its head. And the business community and the population of America is saying enough, okay? Um, so just like Greece had the rise of the Phoenix when, you know, when they went extreme with Cyprus and they came back with moderate, okay? I think the country's screaming for moderate. And can the business community help get that done? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you, Andrew. And I and I'm if, if you were a citizen, I'd vote for you for president. But I but I but but I think you're off there in Australia and only have a green card here in the U.S. So I don't know if you can uh, take the job. I'm coming back to okay. not run for office. Uh, but I, I am definitely this. This is not game over. This is not game over. Andrew, forgive me. I, I Before we let you go, I did want to dig into a follow-up on Alan's question on the $3.5 trillion, the social spend. Embedded in there is childcare and paid leave and things that are really important to people. Considering what happened to working women during the pandemic, this is really top of mind for most of the executives we talk about. Like, is there is there a way to consider... To, to language the ROI on the people side of it. It definitely is. I mean, it definitely is. And look, where I'm sitting um, is a country that has way more social welfare benefits right. for citizens than America does, right? Let's face it. Uh, America has spent a long time saying, I don't want to be Europe, okay? Uh, I, don't, I don't want the social costs of Europe without the economic expansion and benefits. I mean, America gave us the digital economy, not Europe. Okay, China's copying us. So, so the American capitalist model, okay, and sharing the gains of that model should be a primary thought. Now, not at all costs. And this is where I think the business community can be helpful because you're right. Ultimately, the differentiation is human capital. And we have to be A, inclusive and B, very, very, very equal in our distribution. And that's not socialism. Okay, if, if anyone wants to attack me on that, it's not socialism. But have the rich gotten richer in America? And mm -hmm. has the middle class started to disappear? And has the Midwest, where I spent a lot of my time, 25 years living, has it suffered as a result through educate, lack of education access? Has the country basically given us a message that they want these policies to be balanced? Yes. So I'm not saying we're against the 3.5 for the sake of the components of it. But let's do what good budget disciplinarians do. Let's do what good fiscal disciplinarians do. If we want to introduce some things that are new costs, let's remove some others that are unnecessary costs. Do we have the most productive American government economy today? Of course we don't. And so there's, there's a need 
to actually get the budgetarians back to make room for those social programs. Well, it, dramatic. Is, do you think there's a mechanism in place for doing that? You're basically saying, yes, uh, let's address these social needs, but not to the tune of $3.5 trillion. Do you see anything happening in Washington that's going to uh, make a moderation of that ask happen? So clearly, you're going to see now for a while the playbook of the two extremes, extreme left and extreme right play out, right? You're going to get that noise in the system, and that's going to stop any rational discussion of the type you're asking about, unless the sectors get reinforced through this first bill. And that's where maybe hope is not a strategy, but that's where leadership from the business community needs to come from. And that's what I will be spending time on. The CEOs that are on this bill together are committing to spend time on. The business community needs to lead with purpose. You've written a lot about this but put the money where their mouth is to get the centrist supported. That's why we put ads in these hometown newspapers. We have to understand that the political beast is voter-driven. It's not policy-driven. Okay? And so yeah. if the centrists don't get the votes, yeah. then this is an irrelevant conversation. Okay, yeah. And so our democracy works because the voters have a say in the things that matter to them. So that voice needs to be moderated, not extremism not to the far left, not to the far right. That's our work to be done. But the American democracy, in my view, given the last many years, is ready for it, very ready for it. I've gotten more optimism out of this last six months worth of work. And I do like the president's demeanor, okay? It's, it's truly his personality, right, which is solid, pensive, work, the, work it, work it. Let's get Washington working again, doing his... His approach, legislative branch, yeah, work to do, okay, work to do, okay. The leaders of those branches clearly have, you know, got extreme elements to their thinking. We need to counter it as we've just shown we can. Get the business community to talk positive. You can work both sides here, work in the intersections, getting human capital, getting the unions, getting people at the bottom of the period access to education, making this inclusive. This is not a social experiment anymore. It's a mandate and a license to operate. It gives us the right to actually grow economically. It's not an either or. Andrew, I want to ask you one last question here, because you said something at the very beginning about this being important, not just to the U.S., but to the world. And you were a truly global business leader. You were born in Australia. You have uh, Greek family roots but you've spent much of your career in the United States. Why is it important to the world that the U.S. get this right? The global institutions of the 20, uh, 20th century are uh, failing us. Um, the 21st century and the G20s, the G7s, the COPs, the United Nations, uh, WHO, WTO, all these institutions need to be remade in the image of the 21st century. Uh, the voices that are speaking up, the youth movements that are occurring around the world, mm -hmm. the, the people who are actually starting to say, hey, you leaders out there, you've got to do something about this. This is not working, uh, whether it be on the sustainability axis, the digital axis, inclusiveness axis. All these dynamics are just not coming together with solution space because our institutions aren't built for them. So if the biggest economy in the world isn't at the table doing the leading, this is no longer about the American ex, uh, existential experiment and nation building per the 20th century. This is about demonstrating the path forward. 
in the 21st century to show that actually solutions along these very difficult axes can be attained, that there are answers to things like climate change. There are answers to things like the digital inclusiveness commentary to cyber security. There are answers to helping the freedom model permeate around the world, but they have to be in the 21st century mold. If America is not doing that, I don't know who could, Alan. There is no alternative to America. America sometimes, the United States doesn't understand how many people around the world look to it. Being outside the country the last 18 months, I've seen that in spades, okay? Every conversation looks to the US and this bipartisan infrastructure framework looms larger than anything ever before because they say, oh, America is willing to lead despite these extreme positions we've been watching the last many years. That for me is what, what the, uh, the BIF could be here. It's a demonstration that America is willing to lead in the 21st century. Andrew Liveris, thank you for being with us. Leadership Next is edited by Devin Hance, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohen and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 